0: Welcome back. Welcome back. Very excited to have an outstanding guest today going to talk about some offensive uh, line, some defensive line with Brandon Thorne, one of the foremost experts in offensive line play that's doing this type of analysis from, you know, an NFL perspective but also fantasy football perspective, writes over at establishtherun.com does, you know, offensive line rankings throughout the season. Recently published an extensive article breaking down every single offensive line in the NFL. An outstanding resource as you're heading into your fantasy draft. You can find him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Also has his own podcast, the Trench Warfare podcast, where he really talks about all the details of offensive and defensive line play. Covers things that are really hard to find in the media. You know, the the flashy positions get all the attention, but the guys down there paving the way often are overlooked despite being some of the most important players on the field. So, uh welcome Brandon.
1: Thank you for having me. Um honored to be one of your first few guests here on the new pod, man. So this is this is really cool.
0: Yeah, I wanted to get the the line the linemen in here early because, you know, I have a coaching background. I used to coach offensive line. Really understand the importance of of those guys up front. I do a lot of work on running back play. Those running backs a lot to the offensive linemen and people wonder why certain guys have success in terms of production certain guys don't a lot of a lot of it you know a huge percentage of running game production comes down to what the offensive linemen are doing and then obviously in pass protection you know being able to get your quarterback time is essential no no quarterback can be effective with defenders in their face so really appreciate you coming on your unique voice in football analysis you know what led you to develop this expertise and really offer something that not many people out there are talking about?
1: Um. Well, it really started in high school when I got moved to offensive line uh, as a sophomore.
0: The day, the day that no high school kid wants, you no, know, <laughs> No, not at all.
1: No, I did not want to play offensive line, man, at all, but being one of the bigger kids on the team, you know, it just kind of naturally happened. And yeah. So, sophomore on varsity i got moved to right tackle which was crazy and i just spent that year kind of learning it and then as a junior I took over at right guard and played there i was like you know i'm 6'3 and at the time i was 255 260. so i was and you know, we had a big you know i played in florida and we we have had a lot of d1 guys you know around us and stuff and against us so it was it was pretty good competition and i quickly found out how difficult offensive line was especially pass protection um there was just it was crazy i i got okay at it but not very good you know i could have went to like a couple of division one AA schools like jacksonville university um and you know like on partial scholarships and stuff like that but Decided to to not do that and join the military instead. Um, but my you know my appreciation I think really started there you know for offensive line and then it just continued to build gradually. Um, you know in my military career I started reading a lot of books um, on you know, biographies, coaching books, and you know I was always just like a diehard NFL fan since I was a little kid. You know, playing Madden, uh, I knew all the offensive line, defensive line, and just everybody, like the whole league, you know, for Madden, basically, that, that like grew my love for the players in the NFL. And uh, that always just stuck with me. And, man, after eight years of active duty, uh, got married late in there. And, you know, my wife just kind of encouraged me to, to follow this dream that I had to, to get into scouting. So I got out and that's when I was really able to finally, you know, go all in on it. And I mean, right away, I, I did an internship at the time with a pro indoor football team in Colorado. And then I met Ted Sundquist, who is a former general manager of the Broncos, who was living there in Colorado where I was. And that's when it all started for me, man. He took me under his wing, taught me a lot about the league and how it works. Uh, Ted was one of the founding members of the NFL sc- scouting combine, him and Jeff Foster, I believe. So he he was a really influential guy in the NFL for, their, for, for a little while there. He was a college scouting coordinator for the Broncos prior to being a GM. So he taught me a lot about how it works and what to look for and stuff like that. We did a podcast together and then I just met other people. You know, I met Dan with the Scouting Academy and he really gave me like the, the foundation of, of what to look for in scouting. I still use Scouting Academy, uh, you know, terms and traits and all that stuff today. And um, he kind of taught me a lot of positions as well, not just offensive line. And then I kind of branched into more offensive line maybe around 2015, uh, meeting with Charles Bentley. Going to his clinic in Arizona, and then I met Duke Maniweather, um, and Duke asked me to be a part of Offensive Line Masterminds. Um, I do all the film work for them. Um, so yeah, I mean those are kind of the guys in my life who have been big mentors, uh, you know, in this field. And then um, yeah, man, I've just I saw a need, you know, I kind of saw like a an inefficiency, you know, out there in the market of NFL analysis online, and uh, that was in the offensive line, defensive line, specific, specifically offensive line, you know, so that's where I focused all my attention and, you know, just started to go to clinics and reach out to players and man now, you know, it's just built into something really cool and I'm hoping to just keep going with it as long as I can.
0: Yeah, it's a great story, you know, following your passion developing expertise in something that you're very interested in and good things happen in my opinion when the when you do those types of things and obviously haven't been afraid to put the work in. So for you know for all of us it's really a huge benefit to have a guy like you around because not only are you writing about the offensive lines, defensive lines, uh, you know talking about them as well, producing video content, showing us techniques. You really do it in an excellent fashion. A lot of people try to talk about these things But, you know, it's very difficult to pick up on the nuance of certain techniques, uh, the nuances of of why or how players are effective. And you do really an outstanding job. So, you know, we are all left better for it. And I, I think that, you know, probably as you've done this, my assumption would be that you've noticed certain advantages that you have as an analyst, as an NFL analyst, because you know, the, the the trenches on both sides, I think, are sort of a black box for the average observer of football, even people who are, you know, writing about teams, talking about the NFL. And like I said earlier, it's really a huge part of the on-field performance. So what advantages have you noticed, you know, as it applies to football analysis, whether it's betting analysis, you know, seeing some of the stuff you do at Establish the Run, uh, working with betting lines, or, you know, I'm not sure if you play fantasy football, but just having an idea of of which offenses to look out for, which players to look out for.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had an idea. I think most people who write about football have an idea that, you know, the offensive line is going to contribute in some way to the success of the offense. Um, Just because, you know, there's five guys, you know, that's a big chunk of the offense right there. And um, you know, they, obviously helped the running game and the passing game so just from that general standpoint I always kind of knew you know that the offensive line mattered but yeah over the last five years or so that I've really been studying it you just you know I feel like I have a really good pulse on you know the league and offenses uh, because of what I know about offensive lines and it's just what you would think um, in terms of the running game you know better run blocking helps runners have you know, easier time to find a, a crease or a cutback lane or, you know, it just increases their their, their time to to make a read. Um, you know, guys aren't in the backfield at their feet or anything like that. Um, you know, it just gives them more, you know, a bigger margin for, you know, error really. Um, so that, you know, it just kind of naturally helps the running game there. And you could go more, in, you know, in depth as well if you want to talk about different, concepts you know guys who you know on the offensive line do well climbing to the second level and getting out in space and picking off linebackers and defensive backs then you can really you know kind of I put more stock in those type of guys as well because that really can help the running game even more on the second and third levels of the defense um, and then it really just leaves the runner you know I think a lot of schemes are designed for the runner to beat you know one guy himself and then block everybody else but if you have offensive line who can climb and, and, and even get some of those guys at the next couple levels, then, you know, that can help the running game that much more. Um, and there's a lot of layers to that, but that's kind of generally how it can help the running game and the passing game. Obviously, you know, if the quarterback has more time, he's, you know, more, he, he's in a better position to find his intended target or to find the open receiver. It allows the receivers to uncover, um, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's. I feel like it, it's really allowed me, especially with Establish the Run, with what I did last year with the uh, mismatch article that I do uh, evaluating which defensive lines have the biggest advantage over an offensive line in the given week. Um, I usually pick five or six per week. It was cool because last year I was doing it for a fantasy perspective to try to determine which defenses would get the most pressures, hurries, sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it you know, it had unintended consequences uh, for betting. And it turns out that of all the defensive lines that I picked that had an advantage, they won 68% of the time. And they hit, I think, 64% to the under as well so if the defensive line had that advantage then the, the total score would be to the under 64 percent of the time so that was really cool and uh, you know apparently I, I had no idea I you know I was totally clueless on sports betting prior to last year but you know once I started to get some of those numbers I had people reach out to me and say like you know dude this is this is really good um, these are you know great percentages and it was kind of cool to to see that you know Defensive lines having that advantage over offensive lines can really kind of dictate the outcome of games to to that extent. Um, So this year is going to be really interesting to see if I can replicate that, um, as well as you know primarily help the fantasy uh, aspect of it because that's why I that's what I go for is is the fantasy side of it. I'm not even trying to predict the under or the game outcome. That's just kind of a you know additional value that comes with it, but. Yeah so that was cool to to have Evan Silva with established the run reach out to me with that opportunity and that idea and uh for me to get those results was really cool um but yeah man i mean i feel like i just generally have a good grasp uh, of well of which offenses are going to be good uh primarily because of you know how their offensive line looks and uh i also factor in coaching as well i think that's critical you know, to the development of offensive linemen, um, um, which naturally makes the offense better. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of factors to it. And then you could break it down. I mean, I, I really focus on the individual players on the offensive line, not just the unit. I rank all 32 units for establish the run, but I feel like I have a much better grasp of individual players, um, even more so than units. So, that, that helps me in a lot of more nuanced ways, you know, with, with specific matchups with pass rushers and, and run defenders and stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff I really love.
0: Really great stuff there. You touched on, you know, a ton of important topics. One of the things I want to point out was how you spoke to, you know, evaluating these, these positions, these players, these position groups. People often conceptualize evaluation as, you know, good, or bad is this offensive lineman good is he not very good is he average and you really spoke to and you know this gives a window of insight into how good your analysis is is evaluating the player not on the good bad average scale but what does this player do well is he a guy who's athletic is going to be able to climb to that second level you know is he a mauler is he someone who's really going to be able to take that defensive tackle and move him off the ball and it's it's really great stuff because when you do that and you start getting into those those individuals, you know it's really the only way to understand the whole unit is to to tackle it on an individual by individual basis. And how do these guys fit together? How does it fit with the scheme? How does it fit with the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator? What kind of offense are they trying to run? You know maybe they have these big powerful guys, but they're going to trying to have them, you know, do a lot of you know, wide zone, get get moving laterally, pulling left to right, et cetera. And, and it gives you a window of insight into what offenses are going to outperform those expectations. And when you talk about your betting results, it's really profound because it's not just, you know, wins or losses or what have you, it's outperforming or, under, or underperforming expectation and really just indicates the black box that is, the, that are the trenches in the NFL in terms of how well the the general observer or even the highly educated observer the people setting those betting lines the over under et cetera uh you know have don't necessarily have that level of insight into those guys and and really it's like you said not not surprising that they would have such an impact on the game. I guess it's more surprising that we don't understand and we haven't uh you know quantified how much of an effect they really have because there is so much analysis of the skill guys of the quarterbacks running backs, receivers but you don't really get that with the linemen and and it seems based on the work you're doing again unsurprisingly that these guys really have a profound effect on not just the the counting stats of sacks or even pressures but are dictating the outcome of games, dictating the outcome of, you know, fantasy football production. So really outstanding stuff.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was interesting how you, earlier in your point that uh, you said um, that I, you know, talk about what guys can do and I try to focus on that. That's something that I really, you know, I'm conscious about because I I think there's a lot of value in being able to point out what a guy, what a guy can do or, or, you know, does well. Um, and I've kind of learned that just you know, from talking to different people over the years. I think Ted really talked about that a lot early on and then, you know, reading the Parcell's biography and, you know, Belichick quotes, all those type of guys always say, like, you know, anybody can tell me what a guy can't do. I need guys who tell me what a guy can do. And that's really one of the biggest values that a scout can bring to an organization or wherever he's working is to be able to find what that guy can do that can help the team and it, it takes a little bit more work you know to do that because when you watch especially offensive line because you know even guys who are calling games who you know probably most of the time have never played offensive line they can even spot when an offensive lineman screws up and that's usually when they get mentioned but it's it's a little bit more difficult to find when a guy is helping the offense because the 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 the, the, um, the benefit of that is going to go towards the runner the quarterback or the receiver so you know there's a step before that that happens you know and it's generally from offensive linemen a lot of the time so that's a focus of mine and another thing is like you you talked about kind of the generic you know he's either guys are really good they suck or they're okay and a lot of people think of all players like that you know, I was taught by Dan with the Scouting Academy, there's a scale, you know, there's a curve that you have to watch these guys on. And for me, I rate every trait on a one to seven scale. And then that allows for a lot more nuance as well. So, you know, there's very few ones, very few sevens, very few twos, very few sixes. There's a lot of three, four and fives. And, um, you know, I think when you approach it from that perspective, it can really kind of open up your mind to wow there's so much more nuance here you know some guys can have a a trait like a run blocking and an anchor you know that's a five or a six and then you know their athleticism and their hand usage can be a three or two you know and then if you're doing the same thing for defensive line like I do then you have say a guy has a two or three say he's a three like below average adequate Uh hand usage and pass protection and then he's going against a pass rusher who has you know a six in his hand usage he's very refined he has an advanced pass rush plan he can string moves together while moving up field and you know it's a left guard and a three technique now when I do my mismatch article that is going to be something that is going to stand out as kind of a red flag for me because I'm going to say okay if these guy if this guy gets isolated against this guard without significant help and I know what that offensive scheme does typically with helping and maybe there's a little bit of a lack of help towards that guy most weeks then that right there is going to bump that matchup up into my mismatch article most likely because that three technique is going to be able to you know take advantage of that guard's deficiency Um, so like that's how I approach my mismatch article for every position on every team I look at you know, these different traits, and I kind of have number ideas in my head. And I just kind of rate them if I ever see a three versus six, for instance, you know, that's a mismatch, obviously. And then the more of those you have across an offensive line, or in a defensive line matchup, then those are the teams I pick for my mismatch article. So that's kind of just kind of like a behind the scenes, you know, thought process, I guess, of how I put that together. But I I think it's important to just look at players from that perspective, because it allows us to kind of you know just have a more accurate read on who is good and why they're good and you know i, I try to focus on the, the how and the why not just the what you know and that's where i think i differ so much from somewhere like pff you know who's grading they're looking at just the end result you know the what and i try to look at more of the why and the how you know so that's kind of how i approach it
0: this is all music to my ears <laughs> Uh, you know, when I, when I do my skill analysis, it's really the, the same type of approach that I try to take. I just want to say, you know, for all the listeners, if you hear the stuff that Brandon was just saying and you're not consuming his work, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> because the, the level of granularity, you know, you're breaking it down trait by trait, doing matchups trait by trait. Tying that in with the scheme, the offensive philosophy, you know, is this guard, like you said, is he going to get help? Because if he doesn't get help, it's going to be a problem. Now, not only I know that mismatch, but now I can say, well, based on how they run their scheme, he's probably not going to get very much help. This is going to be a problem. And identifying things to that degree of detail, you know, the, the it, it's rare that you find anything Anywhere in sports analysis that is that good, um, and you know it speaks to the reasons you've had such great success with your results, and also why you know you've you've earned a ton of respect, not only from you know the football consumption uh, area of the world, but the people who do it. You know the NFL offensive linemen who go to the offensive line masterminds and and you work with them, you meet them. You know you mentioned the Charles Bentley. Uh, Duke Manyweather. So these are really, you know, people who are world experts in the field. It's really a privilege to get to read your content, see your content, understand football on a deeper level than than what we're used to. So, you know, transitioning into that, this podcast is aimed at a fantasy football audience. Wanna, you know, help them with their fantasy drafts or right in the middle of fantasy draft season. And again, getting a window of uh, into these offensive lines that may be better or worse, or you know, the top of the line in terms of the NFL. Who are three offensive line units that you think are really the best units in the NFL? And and you know, it's again we talk about that that level of granularity, and this is sort of a more generalized question, but you know, factoring in all things considered, the offensive line, offensive scheme fit the offensive line coach, uh, you know, the, the run pass philosophy, who do you think are really the top three units that you're really excited will push their offenses to great success this year?
1: Yeah. So the, the first team is one that I have in their own tier. So this is the first time I've done this in the last couple of years. So the saints to me, their offensive line is in their own tier. They're they're tier one for me the elite offensive line of the NFL. Um, And that's even with some turnover that they're going to have at center and right guard. As from what I understand so far is they're going to put their first round pick rookie Cesar Ruiz at center and move last year's uh, first round pick Eric McCoy to right guard. I think McCoy, he was a first or second round pick, but I think first. Anyway, so they're going to switch positions there. Um, but still you have two very talented guys and I think McCoy has a really good skill set for guards, so I don't see much drop off there. So I look at this offensive line, I, I really I start with how they put it together, you know, their front office. I think a lot of people understand that the front office and you know that the Saints have has done an incredible job building their roster the last, you know, few years. They're one of the probably five most talented rosters in the NFL. And um it, it, it really, I mean, their offensive line is a major part of that. You know, all five starters are homegrown guys. They're all first, second, or third round picks. And three of the five are on rookie deals. Um, and two of those guys on rookie deals are like elite players um, at their positions or re- very close. I think McCoy is probably a very good player. And Ramchek is elite um, at right tackle. So they've just done an incredible job building this thing. And um, they're very young that the average age of the a starter on the offensive line is 25 years old so it's it's just incredible what they've done and I think they're kind of head and shoulders above everybody else now to break down the personnel a little bit you know their offensive tackles I think are the best in the NFL without question so Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramczyk, best t- tackle duo in the league there and then inside is just very good, you know, across the board. I mean, Andrews pete is a top 10 left guard. I think Eric McCoy can be a top 10 right guard this year. And Cesar Ruiz, you know, I liked him at Michigan in Michigan in what I've seen. I didn't do a full evaluation on him where I watch, you know, seven, eight games and write an in-depth scouting report, but I did see a couple games of him and Michigan's offensive line in general. And I think he can come in right away and have a high floor, and be a guy you can win with and, you know, bring do some really nice things um, in both pass protection and the run game. So, and, you know, it helps to put a rookie center, you know, in front of a quarterback like Drew Brees because there's not going to be a, a, as much pressure on him as there would be, say, last year or even this year, you know, with a rookie quarterback. Uh, you know, you generally want a veteran center if you have a rookie quarterback or, you know, vice versa. So, it's it's nice for ruiz to step into a situation where he's going to be playing in between two good guards with an all-time great hall of fame quarterback so that kind of you know eases some concerns for me there so yeah i mean all those things said um you know oh and then to top all this off what makes it you know even more incredible is they're spending the 26th fewest amount of money towards the offensive line in the nfl um, and to be the number one you know, team uh, it's just incredible. So yeah to me they're number one. Um, and then after them I would go probably the Cowboys next. Um, you know they've been one of the two or three best for like five years now, six years uh, and it really it starts with Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. you know those guys are Hall of Fame level guys. Um, Zach Martin to me has been the best overall offensive lineman in the NFL for probably four or five years now. So he's just like, you know, he's like a machine, really. I mean, he, he rarely ever makes a mistake. He's just perfect. And, you know, as perfect as you can get for an offensive lineman. And then the big reason why they're still up in this top tier, you know, t- you know, range of top five units is because of the jump that Leo Collins made last year, which I, I, envisioned him being at this level when he was coming out of LSU and it's cool to see him finally get there so I think he might be the best run blocking right tackle in the NFL Uh, he's a physically imposing guy and the big reason for his jump is how much better he got in pass protection I think he got a lot better with his technique uh, specifically you know his footwork and getting to his his set point um, and getting to his spot, as you call it, um, you know, basically a position where he's able to establish half-man leverage on a variety of pass rushers. He struggled with that the, the prior couple of years um, just because he he was just, I think, learning the position, really. You know, he, he switched over from guard a couple of years ago to the tackle position, and he really settled in last year and jumped up. I think he's like a top five or six right tackle right now. So those three are the reason for them being as high as they are. Center and left guard are some question marks there for sure. Joe Looney and Connor Williams. There's some competition for those spots as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Those are probably the, the weak spots of the unit, but I think Connor Williams is a solid player. Looney's serviceable, you know, more of a below average kind of guy. Um, but I don't think that that's big a en- big enough of a hole to really bring them down. plus, I think their scheme um, is very well designed, at least it was last year, and they're bringing back Kellen Moore. Um, so, you know, they were the league's best offense last year. Uh, now, granted, that was with Travis Frederick at center. So there might be, you know, there's going to be some, uh, you know, some rough spots, I think, to start the year for, for most, you know, units in the league, but for them maybe on the inside. Um but, you know, I, I still think, you know, by mid season they're gonna be one of the five best units in the league. And then after them, I mean, I you know, in that next tier with Dallas, I have a, a few teams that you can put there, like the Colts, the Raiders, the 49ers, I think are almost in their own tier themselves. You know, those are probably the next three that to me are that that make up the five best, you know, in the league
0: really interesting I think when you look at how offensive lines are constructed it it gives you insight into the quality of the scouting and you know the organizational philosophy because right there at the top the Saints offense is always you know up near the top of production the Cowboys the same you mentioned over the last three to five years they've been a top group for offensive line Uh, their offense has been really effective they also have good skill talent, very exciting offenses, uh, you know, when you start thinking about it from a fantasy perspective, and you have guys like Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper. Going down the list, you know, Dak Prescott. So really an exciting situation when you have elite offensive lines paired with excellent skill talent. In that that those next three teams you mentioned, the Colts, Raiders, 49ers, You know, those are teams where I think there's an opportunity that the offenses could be a lot better than people think they will be. Nobody necessarily gets too excited about the Raiders, I think, because, you know, Derek Carr gets a lot of negative attention. I think with his third year in John Gruden's system, Josh Jacobs, you know, one of the most efficient running backs in the NFL, really excellent between the tackles. They really bulked up their guys outside, drafting Henry Ruggs, hopefully have better health than they did last year. You know, when you factor in now they're a top-five offensive line, there, there's something there to work with. And their offensive line was really excellent last year when I studied Jacobs. So I would expect that to continue. Uh, the Colts, obviously, Phillip Rivers coming over, the veteran quarterback. And, you know, one of the issues in L.A. was that he wouldn't necessarily get the time that he needed to throw. And at this stage in his career where, you know, he was never the most athletic guy, but he's really taken even another step down in terms of his ability to maneuver and buy time in the pocket. He really needs that elite offensive line to, to run an offense, and so I'm interested to see if he can get back closer to the Philip Rivers of old now that he's there, where, you know, the Colts, another great organization, has put together a good group of five in front of him. Obviously, with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, and you start thinking about the running game, the outside zone stuff that they build their scheme around, you know, has a lot of success doing that every year. Now with adding Trent Williams, who, you know, I guess we'll see how he is after missing some time, the past couple years, but, you know, really uh, in my opinion, one of the best tackles in the NFL. So some, some great stuff there, really exciting. Are there any teams that you think are much improved? You know, if we can get an ins- window of insight into all right, this offensive line may not be the best, but they've climbed the ranking significantly. Maybe we can get some more excitement from a fantasy perspective on the skill guys on those teams.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple teams. I think the obvious one that a lot of people are, giving some attention to is the browns now you know when i came out with my rankings about a month ago i had them as the number eight overall offensive line in the nfl which is a dramatic turnaround from last year um, when they had the worst maybe the worst tackle pairing in the nfl and uh, this year they updated or upgraded uh, both tackle spots you know with first round pick jedrick wills at left tackle and then jack conklin coming over from tennessee at right tackle um, they still have JC Treader and Joe Batonio at center and left guard. Those are both good players. And then right guard, you know, a little bit up in the air, but I like Wyatt Teller as a, you know, if, if he's your worst guy on the offensive line, he's very young and very talented. And he has some very good tape last year in his seven, I think, starts that he had. Um, or excuse me, nine starts that he had last year. So this is a very promising unit, I think, uh, with a lot of talent. But then they also hired a whole new coaching staff they're going to be implementing a predominantly zone based running game but they're also going to be pretty diverse as well because they hired bill callahan as an offensive line coach who has taught wide zone pretty much his whole career but he does a nice job mixing in other concepts as well so they're going to be you know just very well coached i think bill callahan's one of the greatest offensive line coaches ever uh so I mean, that that's a big reason for my, my you know, the comfort and confidence that I have in this projection is because of the coaching and the scheme as well. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how Jedrick Wills adjusts moving sides from right tackle to left tackle and then how Wyatt Teller plays a right guard. I think those are the two biggest question marks. But, you know, those guys are both very talented under very good coaching and a very offensive line-friendly scheme. So I think over the course of the season, they're going to get continually get better and you're going to see, you know, a, a nice curve up upwards as the season progresses with them um, in terms of development and production. That's what I would expect, at least assuming good health. So the Browns to me, uh, I think are the, definitely the most improved. Um, and another one, um, this one to me is just an, an underrated unit, I think, and that's the Texans. Um, I have them as the 16th overall offensive line in the NFL right now. Um, I mean, you know, everybody knows Laramie Tunsil coming over made a huge difference last year at left tackle. I think he's probably the sixth or seventh best left tackle in the league, but he's an ascending player. Um, whereas some of those other guys near him are kind of on the you know on the other side of it. Like I think of Andrew Whitworth, Dwayne Brown kind of in that same vicinity as him. So he he's a guy who could be top five after this season um, if he keeps getting better. So that's their best player. And then another guy who really surprised me last year was rookie Titus Howard. Came from a small school in Alabama. Um, you know, he got picked over Andre Dillard, which was a big surprise to some people, well, me included. Um, you know, he just, I thought he was pretty raw coming out, but in the time that he played last year, man, he really surprised me. Um, now he got hurt and, you know, he didn't get to finish the year. Uh, he had eight starts, but I think that he has a chance to be a good player and form a really nice tackle duo there in Houston. And that's going to be huge for the way Deshaun Watson plays the game and his, you know, tendency to want to leave the pocket um, if the tackles you know were holding up it's gonna you know go a long way uh, to, to buying him time so I like I like Titus Howard as a guy who can get better you know as the season goes on um, and then inside I think they're all just pretty good players like you know average kind of range um, with one exception and Max Sharping uh, also a very young guy last year who came in and didn't play the whole year either he played he had 14 starts but he developed a really nice chemistry with laramie Tunsel, and i think they do really nice things in the run game together and i think that left side is the strength of the unit um you know aside from howard i think those are the three best players on the unit and then inside nick martin and zach fulton i've liked nick martin since he's been in the league since he came out of notre dame i mean i think he has some pretty bad grades, uh, you know, from places like PFF. So I think the, you know, the uh, perception of him is a little skewed. I think he's actually pretty solid. Um, and then Fulton is a guy who has positional versatility who, you know, is I think a better run blocker than pass blocker, but a guy who you can win with who's below average, but you know, serviceable. So, you know, I think this is a pretty good unit and, Um, they have a really good chance of ascending as the year goes on because they're so young, average age of 26 on the unit. Um, So, yeah, if if Titus Howard can get, you know, settle in and pick up where he left off last year, and then all of a sudden they have a really good tackle duo with Max Sharping and left guard, I mean, this could be, you know, a, a fringe top 10 unit at the end of the year, I think is best case and yeah man so I I don't think a lot of people are talking about the offensive line because you know just last year I mean they had a guy they had like Matt Khalil you know as a projected starting tackle last year coming into the year before they traded for Tunsil you know they've had a really bad offensive line uh, particularly a tackle prior to these two being here over the last couple years so they've done a nice job I think uh, with what they have there and I'm you know I'm, I'm pretty high on them I think probably more than most.
0: Yeah. And then taking it back to the team context, you know, I recently wrote about the Browns called Bill Callahan offensive line coach emeritus. He's just been doing it so long at such a high level. And when you talk about the talent upgrades, I think it's really what the Browns needed, you know, to, to rebuild after last year, Nick Chubb, someone that I'm, I'm extremely high on from a talent standpoint, just so explosive, you know, extremely efficient runner, great contact balance. He averaged over five yards of carry last year in a dysfunctional offense with an offensive line that was, you know, middle of the pack at best, uh, had some significant struggles. And I think now when you factor in the coaching, the talent on the offensive line, adding that to Nick Chubb, for me, you know, it's really one of the most exciting combinations. And I think having that scheme, talent fit is really where you get those explosive, game-changing seasons. Nick Chubb's a guy that people are somewhat lower on than I would be in in the fantasy sphere uh, because Kareem Hunt is there who's also an excellent player but you know in my for my money much much better pass catching running back than he is between the tackles not that he's not good between the tackles but you know I think he's he's a very good runner whereas Nick Chubb is an elite runner so with Stefanski there Bill Callahan the offensive line upgrades I think there could be some real fireworks in their run game this year take the pressure off Baker, let the talent on the outside win off play action. You know, I'm excited about their offense. And then the Texans, another team that I think people are somewhat down on because they did lose DeAndre Hopkins, brought in David Johnson. You know, David Johnson's a runner who's never really been an extremely quick processor inside the box. He needs a bit more of a runway. When he had his big year back in Arizona, you know, his yards per carry was never that. That tremendous, but what he does extremely well when he's on his, on top of his game and healthy is, you know, he's really a dynamic player in space, very explosive, uh, very good sense of of you know defenders from his peripheral vision, finding creases, and so if the Texan, Texans can really establish an effective you know run blocking front, he's a guy that could really surprise some people as well, uh, and then obviously giving Deshaun Watson a bit more time has a ton of strengths as a quarterback but if anything I'd say his weakness is just that he's not necessarily a whip fast processor back there quarterback he likes to see things develop a little bit more at times more of a see it throw at quarterback so if he has that time you know his his arm talent is really tremendous very athletic very smart player and they have a lot of talent in the receiving game though not that that one star like Hopkins so I think that You know, if that offensive line does take that next step, again, another team that could really surprise a lot of people this year. Uh, Flipping it over to the other side of the coin, you know, who are a couple offensive lines that you think may be significantly worse than what we saw from those teams last year?
1: You know, there's not like a a huge drop off team, but there are a couple definitely worth mentioning. I think one of those is going to be the Eagles. So, you know, we've been used to the Eagles the last couple of years being very good in elite. I, I have them in the solid tier right now. So tier three, um, you know, right around well, I have them at 11 overall. So I still think they're going to be an above average, you know, solid kind of unit. But there's going to be some some bumpy spots early on, certainly, uh, especially a left tackle uh, with Andre Diller taking over. You know, his inability to anchor. Um, against very good or better competition uh, was was you know glaring last year uh, his first significant playing time came against the vikings and everson Griffin who you know is probably one of the best speed to power pass rushers one of the most refined pass rushers we have in the NFL and he pretty much ate him up you know and, and made him look bad and exposed his weaknesses so you know he has a very tough, uh, beginning of the season here Andre Diller does I mean they're going to be going against the 49ers who I think is the best defensive line in the NFL uh, at least pass rushing wise and Nick Bosa who is an absolute monster so you know Nick Bosa is get, I would expect is going to make Diller look bad um, now this is the thing though you know he's going to face Nick Bosa he's also going to face Chase Young uh, in the first couple weeks I think people need to be patient with Dillard because he has a lot of talent. He he's an elite athlete at the position, um, and he does some really nice things with his hands and pass protection. He's well coached, um, you know. He, he just has you know he needs time to get stronger and to get better technically, trans transitioning into his anchor, and um, you know it's just going to take some time for him because you know he's coming from a system. And a conference, uh, you know, in Washington State and the Pac-12, where he didn't see very good competition, and he wasn't asked to do a lot of pro things. You know, in terms of, you know, the, the the defenses he saw, he saw a lot. He saw a lot of three-man fronts. He saw a lot of five techniques who were basically right on him. You know, at the snap as opposed to wide nine techniques and things like that. Um, and the level of competition, you know, wasn't very good at all. So he's going to have that transition period, but I think if, you know, he's able to stay healthy, if, you know, the Philly fans don't boo him out of town, then he's going to be able to develop into a good player. So, you know, I just think that needs to be said because there needs to be some patience here with him because he's going to see some elite competition early. And I think right now, you know, week one, Dillard is probably going to be a solid starter, you know, which to me, solid means average. You know, and that's like a four out of seven. Now he's going to be going against some sevens, you know, or some at least worst case sixes. So those guys are going to beat him, you know, Um, that's just going to happen. But, uh, you know, kind of a, a long way of saying, I think Dillard's going to be good. He's just going to take some time. And that's the biggest weakness on the line. And that's the biggest reason why they're dropped. Um, you know, Jason Peters is still there as an emergency option, I guess, at left tackle. Uh, but right now he's slated to play right guard. There's some questions there, obviously. He's, you know, I think he's going to be 39 years old and he's switching sides and positions. That's, you know, a recipe to get injured. Um, and he's already dealt with a lot of injuries the last few years. Granted, he's played through all of it, basically. But still, um, some concerns there with injuries. But I, as far as a skill set perspective, I don't really have any concerns. I think Peters can be a very good guard. Um, so that, that's probably the second biggest concern on the line, but not as big of a concern as left tackle. So, you know, they're still very well coached. Jeff stoutlin is one of the best offensive line coaches in the game. And I think he's going to be able to do a lot for them. They have pretty decent depth there. You know, I like a couple of their guys like Matt Pryor and, and I think Jack, uh, Driscoll can be a good player as well. So that offers them a little bit of margin for error there. Um, you know, in case of injury or whatever. So, you know, it's it's a middle of the pack type of unit. I have them slightly above middle of the pack uh, right now because of Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, two elite players still there. Isaac Ciamalo at left guard is very solid. So, you know, two elite players and Peters Ciamalo, I think are going to be solid or better. It's really just Diller That's the reason why they're lower. So that's a unit, I think, that, is going to have some trouble um, off that left side and is going to have to get creative, um, you know, with things that they do uh, with tight ends and backs and slide protections and play action and moving the pocket RPOs, all that kind of stuff is going to help Diller tremendously. So that, that one to me um, I think is one of the bigger kind of drop off teams that we have. Um, And I'm just looking down the list. Like there really isn't another one for me that took a huge drop off. I mean, I think, you know, the Broncos, I guess, are worth mentioning um, just because Juwan James opted out, you know, due to COVID. So now all of a sudden their tackle group looks very concerning and that bumped them down quite a bit because I had them in the solid tier as well. And now they they bumped down a tier, uh, two tiers actually. I have them 26 now just because, you know, now their tackles are going to be very concerning. you know the thing is, what's keeping you know what keeps them, me encouraged about them is their interior. I think is going to be very good. Uh, this is the best you know center, left guard, right guard, you know group that I've seen the Broncos have in the last several years. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because you know while the middle can be firm uh, in terms of the pocket, you know for Drew Locke, I think if he you know gets too deep. You know, if he you know gets too, if he takes too many hitches, you know, if he takes too long to read the defense, you know, if guys aren't getting open, you know, I don't think he's really going to have that problem. But uh, you know, if he just takes too long, you know, he's going to run into some trouble because I don't think the tackles are going to be able to hold up. But in terms of quick passing game, um, you know, I'm sure they're going to run a lot of play action as well, and I think the running game can still be pretty good. Uh, because of that interior and their better run blockers and pass blockers and then another thing that keeps me encouraged or where I can see them rise is Mike Munchak you know one of the best offensive line coaches ever as well so yeah those are probably the two that I would throw out there as like the biggest you know drop-off teams
0: yeah great stuff you know when I I studied the Eagles a lot last year Uh, you know people who follow me know about My critiques of Miles Sanders and his issues, you know, processing between the tackles, you know, from a from a production standpoint, he obviously had an outstanding rookie year. And I think for me, a lot of that got back to the stuff you said about their offensive line last year. And It was really fun. It's just such a fun group to watch because in the run game, they're really getting a lot of movement, you know, downfield movement, moving defensive lines off the ball. And the advantage of that is it gives the running back a lot more time to make those decisions. You know you talk about having the running back have to really make one guy miss, whether it's in the in the zone running game where you're making that guy miss by you know manipulating beforehand, you know, you're not really interacting with him face to face. It's more you're trying to get him to make the wrong decision so then you can make the right decision and not even have to, you know interact with him, break a tackle, et cetera. Um, and you know you just have that much more time when the offensive line is pushing the defense one, two, three yards down the field. And then even if you make the wrong decision, you know, you're not going to get hit for a two-yard loss, three-yard loss, those really real drive killers. And so, you know, if the Eagles do take a step back, I think that, you know, getting back to the scheme talent fit, you know, looking at it on a trait-based level. Because Sanders, when you give him a lane, he's very explosive. But if he's having to make those decisions now in a compressed time frame, uh, you know, his reads in the zone game or having to, you know, work with the defender a little bit earlier in the box. So the Eagles started doing, uh, you know, some some really effective gap style, uh, you know, having pullers open up holes for Sanders last year. Compressing that time frame for him may be a big issue. And you may see instead of him getting hit for, you know, one or two yard gains and then busting off a 15, 20 yard run. Instead, you know, it's a one yard loss, a two yard loss, a seven yard gain. And I have some real concerns there in the running game. And then also getting back to Carson Wentz, who, you know, is a a great athlete, but doesn't necessarily have the quick controlled footwork you need to really navigate, you know, a muddy pocket with, with skill and nuance. He's more of, I don't know. I don't know how to frame this more of a, of a, of a large scale macro scale athlete. You know, he's, he's pretty explosive, pretty fast, very good arm But in terms of having that that body control, that footwork control, to really navigate a pocket with skill, that's where I've seen him struggle. And you know, it's for for all of these guys on the Eagles, they've been fortunate to play with really such a great offensive line unit. When you start going down the line, you know, talking about Peters, Kelsey, uh, Brooks, you know, Lane Johnson, those guys have all been you know Pro Bowl, All Pro type players. And so it'll be interesting to see as these as these skill guys develop, you know, their their young guys as they develop in their careers, whether they can really compensate for the losses and the potential, you know, de- decrease in the offensive line uh, effectiveness. Uh, because I, I think for both of those guys, their skill set really is one where they benefit tremendously from having a very good offensive line. And you do have some hope because of the coaching there. I think Doug Peterson Uh, you know, in addition to their offensive line uh, coach, Stoutland, who, you know, can't imagine a better name for an offensive line coach than Stoutland, (laughs) Uh, you know, really just an excellent coach team up and down the the roster. So, and then, you know, as far as the Broncos, I think that Pat Shermer will do great things for them. You know, he really is an effective, quick game offensive coordinator in terms of the passing game. So I think that'll really help Drew Locke, uh, you know, help them, Sort of bridge that early season gap that you've referred to a couple times with some of these some of these players who have some deficiencies in their game, but they're around really some excellent offensive line coaches, and so as Munchak gets a chance to work with these guys, they get those live in game reps. You hope that by by the time you get to week six, seven, eight, you know you're seeing the the improvement in play, and then they can do some more you know longer developing stuff because they do have some good deep threats to work down the field now that they've added Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. Uh, I am excited about Drew Locke. I think that he he processes the field very well. Uh, something he wasn't really asked to do much in college, but showed tremendous improvement as the year. You know, he only started five games, but every week he was getting better and better to the point where, you know, he's going three, four players deep in his progression, perfectly on time, hitting guys in rhythm, you know, by the time they got to playing Detroit and Oakland there, or I guess now it's Las Vegas at the end of the season. So excited about Locke hopefully they can, uh, you know, shore up those offensive tackles as the season wears on. All right, so this is really uh, tremendous stuff. You know, I follow your work over at Establish the Run. As we talked about the the performance you had, you know, sort of indirectly in having insight into over-under, you know, team wins, losses. It gives you great insight into team competitiveness to have a firm grasp on the offensive and defensive lines. So when you factor in you know, off-season additions, changes in coaching schemes, just further development of players. We already talked a lot about the offensive line, but factoring in both the offensive and defensive lines, do you have a team or two who you think may really surprise some people, you know, potentially with a deep playoff run, maybe a team where you're like, man, I'm really excited to see what these guys do. They haven't quite hit yet, but I think they got a shot.
1: Yeah, uh, one, well, I have a couple. So the first one I would mention is, Probably the Chargers. Um, you know, I'm still concerned about the left side of their offensive line, but I think that you know they they have a new starter at right tackle and right guard and Brian Bulaga and Tri Turner, so they got a lot better uh, there. Um, so I think that their offensive line is going to be much improved from last year, which was one of the bottom three in the league. Uh, I think uh, bottom five for sure last year. Now they're you know having at 22. So pretty big jump for them, Um, you know. We'll see how the left side goes, though. Like I said, but then you also consider their defensive line. You know, I have them as a top ten defensive line, uh, primarily, you know, because of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Um, Now, I really hope that the guy from Notre Dame, uh, Tillery, um, Jerry Tillery, if he can step up and be be more of a contributor to the pass rush, I think that that can be a very potent defensive line. I think they will be either way, just with Bosa and Ingram. But if Tillery can step up, then they can get into, like, dominant territory. So just from an offensive and defensive line perspective, I think that they're, you know, very well-rounded team in that regard um you know again minus that left side of the offensive line which i think is just a question mark more than anything right now so that that team can win some games for sure just based on that and of course of course uh, derwin james you know being fully healthy is going to be huge you know the quarterback situation is concerning though. i'm not a big tyrod taylor fan um now maybe in this scheme you know he can and do something uh and it'll be better suited to what he does but i'm not very encouraged by you know him leading a deep playoff run you know you know, hopefully i'm wrong but uh that that would be the one question that i would have with them is just the quarterback situation but which you know as we know is is huge for for game outcome stuff so but definitely offensive and defensive line wise i think they're you know going to be a very strong team. Um, And another one I throw out there is the Bills. I think everybody's talking about them on Twitter, Uh, but I was very high on them last year uh, as well, uh, especially on their offensive line. I have their offensive and defensive lines both ranked in the top 12. So very well-rounded team in that regard. They're very deep on both sides of the ball. Maybe some of the best depth in the league at offensive and defensive line. Um, so, yeah, that's how they're built. It's very impressive what they've done. They don't have a lot of star power on either side, but they have a lot of solid players. It, it, so, um, I really like what they're doing there. And then I think their scheme fits them very well. I'm really, you know, I think their offensive line coach, Bobby Johnson, it was his first year ever being a head offensive line coach last year. He came over from the Colts. And then I think he did a great job with them. And I think he's a, a rising star in the coaching ranks um so yeah they're very underrated i think uh maybe not now at this point because i think everybody's kind of on them now but um that's a team you know over the last year and a half i think you could kind of see that they were going to get to this point so yeah those two teams i think are probably the two like kind of underrated ones that people may not be thinking about a lot
0: yeah i think you know with some of these teams they They end up being good, but I, I don't think that the average football fan necessarily understands why the team is good, and I think a lot of that is the black box of the offensive and defensive line. And you know the great thing about your work is it really illuminates the full picture for NFL fans, for fantasy football players. You know, but if you don't understand the offensive lines, it's sort of like you know looking at you know the famous painting by Van Gogh, Starry Night. It's like looking at that painting without seeing the sky. You know, you're like, well, I see this stuff in the foreground. It looks, it looks pretty cool. Painting the full picture, understanding what is in the sky there really gives you so much more insight into why NFL teams are good, who's going to be good, you know, you can be ahead of the curve in terms of anticipating whether it's betting or from a fantasy football perspective, you know, being ahead of, of, of the result and really anticipate the result. And so it's really tremendous work, uh, you know, really unique in the sphere. Very excited to see how these things play out this year. Obviously, you know, a unique football season where you don't get a chance to see some of these guys in preseason, get a little more feel for what they're going to do. But, you know, by, by consuming the extremely detailed work guys like you put out, you can really get an edge on your competition. Uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show again. If you're listening and you haven't checked out Brandon's work before, really outstanding stuff over at establishtherun.com. Uh, You know, he ranked all 32 teams, offensive lines for part of their draft package over there. Um, so definitely something worth checking out. Also, you know, his podcast trench warfare um, and finding him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Can't recommend his work highly enough if you can't tell already by, you know, uh, how excited I've been getting during this podcast. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'll catch you guys soon next time.